Hi, Keith here. Before we get started, I want to take a second to thank all of you who've donated to keep the lounge open. Thanks to Candace in Glassell Park, George in the Hollywood Hills, and Hope from West Hollywood. Your donations help us seek out more loungers like you. Thank you. If you'd like to make a donation to keep Live from the Lounge coming to your ears every month, you can head over to our website, livefromtheloungepodcast.com. That's livefromtheloungepodcast.com. Just click on the Donate button and follow the prompts. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Hey there. Welcome to the Lounge. It's June. We've gone halfway around the wheel of the year together. I've gone from a comfy sweater and slippers to comfy cargo shorts and slippers. The slip-ons are kind of a thing with me. Wherever you're at, we invite you to throw on something comfy and lounge with us for the next hour or so. We've got stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the season. Later on, I'll share some thoughts with you about growing up. After all, June is the season of graduations, commencements, and weddings. John Ballinger has arranged three summery tunes for us. One's hot, one's cool. All of them are sunny. As a father of two, I'm going to exercise my parental prerogative to show off both my kids this month. Ruby will be along to share one of her favorite films with you, and we'll pair it with a perfect summer dessert. And my son, Vincent, and I will have an enlightening conversation about what it means to take pride in who you are. Can't wait to introduce him to you. Matt Almos will share a story with us about a young man who went into the ocean as a child, but came out a little wiser and more grown up. And Double Batch Daddy are here to help us get breezy and lazy. So, here we are. We're turning a corner this month. Sunrise in Los Angeles came at 5.41 today, and we've got all the way until 8.02 to enjoy it. And the days are only going to get longer until they don't. By the end of June, the days will start to shrink again, imperceptibly at first, but with growing intensity, until we're back where we started in December. But enough of that. For now, Father Son is at the wheel. And while we celebrate our fathers this month, we also remember that June is named for Juno, the goddess of mothers and childbirth. Yes, fathers, you may have your day, but don't forget who brought you into the world in the first place. Father's Day started in West Virginia in 1908 to commemorate the 362 fathers who died in an explosion at the Fairmont Coal Company. A year later, Sonora Smart Dodd of Spokane, Washington, petitioned local churches and YMCAs to begin to offer a Father's Day celebration alongside Mother's Day. Her inspiration was her own father, William Jackson Smart, a Civil War vet and twice-widowed single father of 14. On June 19, 1910, the first official Father's Day was celebrated in Spokane, But it wasn't until 1972 that Father's Day was recognized as a national holiday in America. We salute our graduates in June. Those who studied hard and passed the tests commence into adulthood or further study. Either way, they're on their way to enormous debt. 
and June is the month of pride, wherein we celebrate all the colors of the rainbow without picking favorites. I love that pride is something we feel, and that it's also a descriptor of a chosen family, a pride, who cooperate and work together for the good of all its members. Let us all be proud to be part of the pride. Similarly, we honor newlyweds this month. When two people choose each other and invite their birth families along for the ride in a ceremony where two prides become one. And out in the fields, we watch our crops grow up toward the sun. It's time for cherries, apricots, blueberries, cantaloupe, Swiss chard, and zucchini. And the corn is as high as an elephant's thigh. It's still got a ways to go. We celebrate everything and everyone that's growing up in June. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's so happy today. Why? It's a sunshine day. heats up, we head to the water. Whether that's your local swimming pool, a river, a mountain lake, or the ocean, there's no better way to beat the heat than a cool dip in a large body of water. Sometimes, though, the water asks for something in return. As the young man in Matt Almos' story, the thin boy in the ocean learns. The boy is 14 years old. He puts on his bathing suit and takes a look in the bathroom mirror. The light is dim, but he can see enough of his reflection to know that he's thin, he's weak, he's awkward. He grabs his fins and his towel and walks through the sleeping house, out the door into a surprisingly cold and overcast morning. He walks towards the ocean. 
down the street, through the playground, across the train tracks, through the dimly lit neighborhood. The boy has lived near the ocean for nine years now, but he's afraid of surfboards. They're hard and they're sharp. When you wipe out, they fly in the air and then they fall and land on your head and cut you. He's afraid of getting cut. He's afraid of the surfers. A tight brotherhood with abilities far beyond his own, both athletically and socially. Still, the boy is going to the ocean to body surf. He'll ride the current of the wave using only his body. When he wipes out, he'll only have his own body to deal with, no other projectiles to dodge. He'll walk down the beach, away from the break where the surfers gather. There's a decent break farther down the beach. Not as good, but good enough for him. He'll walk into the water, let his body get adjusted to the cold, slip his fins onto his feet, and swim out to catch whatever waves he can, alone. Then he'll dry off and walk back home and go to school. The school year is almost over. Summer has not officially arrived yet, but the boy is nonetheless walking towards the ocean. He's going to test the water, literally and figuratively. He walks up a gently sloping hill and arrives at a dramatic viewpoint at the top of a concrete and wooden staircase that extends down the steep bluff to the rocky beach below. The boy is astonished by what he sees. The ocean today is different. A storm has blown in from Mexico. The waves are the biggest he's ever seen at this spot, far bigger than he's comfortable with. Normally these larger waves attract surfers, but the water is empty. The wind has blown out the shape of the waves and made them unpredictable. The water is churning with strange currents. There's no lifeguard on duty at this beach. The boy's heart beats. He's afraid. And yet he keeps staring out into the empty ocean. An older kid on a bike pulls up next to him at the viewpoint. The boy has not met this older kid before, but he can tell he's a surfer. Oh, wow, look how far out that's breaking. The boy nods. Are you going out? The boy shrugs. <laughs> Where's your surfboard? I body surf. You body surf? That's just... Wow, that's so cool, dude. You're going to body surf in that? <laughs> the boy understands that sarcasm and ridicule are being directed at him. He doesn't want to stand in this spot anymore, next to this person on this bike. He has two choices. He can turn around and go home, or he can walk down the stairs and get in the water. The boy considers his options, and to his surprise, he finds himself walking down the stairs. As he does, the surf gets closer and louder. About halfway down, he can hear a voice at the top of the steps yelling down to him. He stops, turns around, and looks up. The older kid on the bike is yelling down to him. The boy can't make out what he's saying. He turns back towards the ocean and continues his descent to the wet rocks below. The shore is deserted. A mist hangs in the air. Could be from the ocean? Could be a drizzle? Is it actually starting to rain? The boy hangs his towel on the stairway railing. He closes his eyes and takes a deep breath. Why is he doing this? 
He's never been out in water like this. If he gets into trouble, there's no one here to see it except for the kid on the top of the stairs, if he's even still there. The boy takes another breath. He walks down the final steps. He knows he can't be tentative. He needs to submerge himself quickly. He needs to move immediately and with purpose. He moves as quickly as he can into the shallow water, fins in his hand, and dives underneath an oncoming wave. He jumps up onto his feet in the waist-deep water, inhaling quickly in response to the cold and the wind that is starting to pick up in speed. He squats in the water and puts the fins onto his feet as another large wave hurtles towards him. Once the fins are on his feet, he dives underneath the wave and continues to kick forward towards deeper water. He moves with surprising speed due to the power of the fins and the force of the rip currents carrying him out to meet the largest surf. The waves roll in in close succession. The boy has to dive deeper and deeper underneath them to avoid the turbulence. He closes his eyes as he ducks under the surface and kicks his fins to push deeper and deeper. His eyes are closed. He sees nothing. But he hears a roar above him as the wave storms past. He waits for the roar to dissipate before he returns to the surface to take a breath. His head above the water, he wipes his eyes to gauge his surroundings. A larger wave is almost upon him. The boy will have to dive deeper to dodge its turbulence. He waits to dive so that he can catch his breath. He waits too long. When he dives, the turbulence catches him and pulls him down. The thin, weak boy is tossed around like a rag doll by the largest body of water on the planet. He flips under the water and loses his sense of up and down. He kicks as hard as he can to push through the turbulence and reach the oxygen at the surface. To his surprise, he emerges and inhales deeply. There's a lull in the waves. He breathes. The boy looks towards the stairs. No one is there. He is alone in the swirling water. The rip current pushes him farther out. He prepares to dive again. He passes beneath another wave, then another. Once again, he emerges and breathes. He's far away from the shore at the edge of the break. It's somewhat calmer out here. The swells continue in, but the boy stays above water, riding up the face of the swell like an escalator, taking in the view before sliding down the back of the giant wave. He continues to replenish his oxygen as he floats up and down, up and down. He looks again to the top of the stairs. He can't tell if anyone is there. It's too far away. Raindrops begin to splash on the surface of the water. The boy continues to float and breathe. Now he also begins to wait and scan the incoming swells. He's waiting for a rideable wave, but there are no smooth shoulders to be found on these breaks. The chaos of the wind and the current causes the swells to fold over haphazardly with no rhyme or reason, creating fast, dead ends. The waves double over on each other quickly. It's a swirling mess. For a surfer, it's just a waste of time. For a thin 14-year-old with fins on his feet, it's a guarantee for getting knocked around in the soup. Still he waits and scans the incoming sets. One after one, he reads them. And one after one, 
he's afraid to ride them. Although the morning isn't shedding any more light, he knows it's getting later. He has to get to shore, but he's getting tired. He needs help pushing through the current. The boy knows his best course of action is to ride one of the swells as best he can to shrink the distance to the rocky beach. He resolves to ride the next wave that appears. Another giant peak emerges outside the breakers. Like it or not, this is the one. The boy swims towards it. He positions himself in the water to a spot where the wave will build enough force to propel him. He plans to slide straight down the front of the wave and let it crash on top of him. Maybe if he continues to propel forward with his fins, stiffen his body, and hold his breath, he can ride it out and make some progress towards shore. This wave, however, is particularly large, larger than any the boy has attempted to ride before. He kicks forward and braces himself for getting slammed, but as he rides up the swell, he sees a path open up to his right. He kicks as hard as he can until he feels the force of the wave pushing him forward, fast. He surrenders to that force. He slides down the face and rides to his right. The wave thrusts him forward with alarming speed, but he channels that energy to move to the smoother path opening up to the right. The wave continues to fold over in front of the boy, but he pushes through to ride the shoulder to the right, to the south. The wave doubles over on a weaker wave in front of it. Surely this is the end of the ride. But he cascades down the face of the new wave. He travels farther south, closer and closer to shore. The wave gets smaller, but the boy is still riding it. He rides on until the wave softly dissolves in the shallow water. The boy's hands touch the sand and he kneels. He breathes. The waves wash gently on his back. He breathes. The boy looks up and down the beach. He looks out to the ocean. He's the only one here. No one will ever know this moment but the ocean and him. He gets out of the water and sits on the rocks. He watches the waves. He breathes. He walks back up the beach, back up the stairs, grabs his towels, ascends to the top of the stairs. No one is there. He walks home across the train tracks, through the playground, into the house that stirs now with people getting ready for something. The boy showers and puts his clothes on. And then he goes to school. Matt Olmos is a lead writer on Live from the Lounge. You know Al Gore is the former vice president of the United States, but did you remember that he's also an Oscar winner? The 2006 film An Inconvenient Truth won the Oscar for Best Documentary of 2006. In it, Mr. Gore presented a slideshow that explained the science behind climate change. In the 14 years since his Oscar win, Mr. Gore and his scientific advisors have been constantly updating that slideshow with the most current information on the science, on the insane weather events happening all over the world, but also on the positive changes taking place that give reasons for optimism. 
Now, what if I told you you could get your very own presentation of this new slideshow by someone personally trained by former Vice President Gore? What if I told you they could present to your club, church, community group, or any other gathering you could think of, small or large? What if I told you they could present it over Zoom and that they'd do it for free? Well, it's all true. And all you have to do to schedule a presentation is email your request to the Los Angeles chapter of the Climate Reality Project at laclimatereality at gmail.com. That's laclimatereality at gmail.com. And to learn more about all the other wonderful work happening in the L.A. chapter of the Climate Reality Project, visit www.laclimatereality.org. I love it when two ideas come together. And this month, it's Pride and Father's Day which allows me a convenient excuse to bring my son into the lounge. His name is Vincent. I can't wait for you to get to know him better. As we're heading into Pride Month, um, you and I talked a little bit yesterday about how so often the stories of the LGBTQ plus community are stories of trauma. It's not Trauma Month, it's Pride Month. So can you talk a little bit about what pride means to you? Pride, I would say, I always think of like the founders of Pride, how it was a, it was a riot. It was known as the Stonewall Riots in 1969 was the first Pride Parade because it was these people who continually kept getting imprisoned and just beaten up by cops for the pure reason that they were gender nonconforming. And these people were trans women. They were trans women of color, specifically, who are the same people who are the most marginalized today as they were in the 1960s. But I feel like so much of that is also forgotten, that our pride is just saying, like, I'm going to be who I am despite what you do to me. I'm going to come back. I'm going to continue to be this way every single year on this day. This month, I'm just going to be who I am. And no matter how much I hate, hate I get, I know this is my truth and this is what I'm going to be. You have had a very interesting journey in your life coming to be who you are today. I'd love for you to talk about um, your journey uh, to becoming Vincent. Like with pride, I feel like a lot of it comes from a turbulent state, sort of of realizing you have to break a lot of social rules to be able to be any type of queer person. I realized I had so much I had to unlearn. There was so much I was going to have to leave behind. There was so much I was going to have to reject. And a lot of people were going to be against me. And it was going to be really hard. But I was like, it's going to be worth it. Like, I know that this is going to be a really hard transition period. Like puberty, you know, it's the yeah. same. It's it's an emotional puberty. It, Do you feel comfortable a, talking about the fact that you're a trans male and that you were born a girl? I wouldn't say I was born a girl. I was to say I was assigned female at birth, which means that I was given basically a definition of gender from the moment I was born. As a kid, it's it's not really something you understand yet. You have like a role you're playing, like you know, of course gender roles. You have a role you're playing, but it's not you don't really identify with it yet. You don't understand how to identify with it yet. You don't have that sense of like of gender identity yet. You don't understand what it is you want yet. It's just kind of like, oh, it's this dress or this dress. It's Minnie Mouse or Ariel or Jasmine. Like, who do you want to be for Halloween? 
And then I would say, Edward Scissorhands. And then mom's like, okay. You were a great Edward Scissorhands, that by the way. That was my favorite costume I think I've ever done. Props to Ann Kloss Farley Designs for that one, because that was, that was bomb. When did you know? Uh, when did you know? identity didn't <laughs> conform with the roles you were being asked to play? Mm. Very early, I think I remember, I remember talking to one of my friend's moms, and I had just cut my hair super short. And I, I, look, I turned around to her, and I was like, do you think I look like a boy? And she was like, no, no, you don't. Don't worry about it. Like, you look so much like a girl. You're so pretty. Like, and I was like, well, what makes me look like a girl? And then she was like, well, you have a little bling on your shirt. And I was like, oh, never wear that shirt again. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I would say that's that was kind of a moment I looked back on and I was like, trans moment. And how old were you then? Eight. Yeah. Third grade. Right. Mm-hmm. That's when I started to really not conform and sort of make my own ideas and then very quickly learned that uh, people will not like those ideas and could hurt you for them. So um, back in the closet I went for a while. <laughs> so I denied it until I was like 15 or 16 again. I like to describe myself as non-binary, sort of genderqueer, with like a little like lean towards the masculine. Like my legal name is Vincent. I go by Vice with friends and family. Um, because I feel like it's it's more gender neutral, and I enjoy that ambiguity a lot. And I feel like a lot of my transition has actually been coming to terms with my own masculine and feminine energy in a way like rejecting both and coming to find my own like divine feminine and masculine energy that can live together. And I feel like I embody both at the same time. I understand the privilege of being male, and I really enjoy being masculine. That's probably my favorite state to be. It's my most comfortable. But also, like, I'll dye my hair purple. I love wearing makeup. I felt like I was more... It wasn't like I felt I knew I was more androgynous, and this wasn't me. It wasn't like my body wasn't me. It was my body. It just... It was something I felt dissociated from and something that I wanted to fix, you know? And I think that gets to... Identity versus expression. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between gender identity and gender expression? Because that was a big one for me. That's what really shifted in my understanding of what you were going through. Gender expression is, I like to say, it's like something you can take off when you come home. It's it's the clothes, makeup, it's it's the way you style your hair, the way you define your face and your body, the outside sort of stuff that you can wash off later. Um, like it's 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 like your little skin suit. But identity identity it's it's in the core of your being. Like it's I like to think of it like a meditation I got really into is I'm not my body, I'm not my mind. So it makes you think beyond like, okay. Well, my body doesn't define me, so if my body doesn't define me, what gender am I? That's where identity lies. It's in, it's in the knowing part of yourself, the part that when you quiet, you just trust. What got me was the idea of identity, that those of us who are cisgender, we wake up in the morning, and I feel before anything else happens that I'm waking up as a man in my bed in my home. And when I go and I take a shower and I hop out of the shower, I see a man's body in the mirror. 
But what if I jumped out of the shower and saw a woman's body? There's an identity, who you are and how that identity manifests itself. If it's not manifesting itself in your body, there's a disconnect that can lead to tragedy. So we were fortunate that when you expressed that you thought you felt like a boy, we took you to our pediatrician and, and you told him about that experience. And I want you to tell me what happened then. Um, well, I, I talked to him about how I was transgender and I identified as transgender and I wanted to transition from being perceived as female to being perceived as male. So um, I was like, how do I do that? And he was like, well, there's this program in Los Angeles at Children's Hospital. There's a trans youth program. And if you want to contact them, here's their website and like the director's email. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to just shoot her an email and see what happens. When I emailed uh, her, she said, come on in, we'll do an intake. If you want some therapy, we got you. I was like, okay. And she's like, oh, by the way, we also do group therapy every Wednesday for trans kids. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started going every Wednesday to just sort of meet other people like me and to see what was going on and see if I was really alone in this or like what I had to do, different tips and tricks, you know. So I went and through there I found Transforming Families. Basically what they do is they host families uh, that have trans children in their family to uh, a center and they divide them into basically parents, trans kids, and then siblings of trans kids. And they have counselors in each room and they separately go through basically any sort of, like anything they need to talk about and anything to help them understand what what is going on in this process they're going through. And um, I think that was a huge turning turning point. It really was transformative mm. for me too. Um, I was a little slow on the uptake, um, on understanding what it was that you were going through. Um, and we talked a lot about that. And I know I stumbled a lot during that time. When you have a 15 year old who comes to you and says, hey, listen, my body doesn't feel right with who I am. Yeah. And trying to deal with that. Um, because as I told you many times, there were a lot of things I was really sure about when I was 15, 16 that I don't really feel so sure about anymore. But they didn't have to do with my identity. Mm. It gets down to the identity level. It gets down to the core of who we are. And then there was no question that we needed to reduce the stress. We needed to reduce the trauma of what was going on between who you are and what your body looked like. 100%. And since then, I feel like I've been able to absolutely just explode with my expression of my gender identity. Like, I feel like once I was able to secure myself and be able to live with my body and myself in a way that I felt the most comfortable, like being able to just sit and love the way I looked is a blessing. So I think my biggest advice would be just... Find out who you are beyond your body and your mind and be that truest being. If you find out who you are beyond your body and your mind, you find who, your, who you are are beyond your conditioning and your programming, I think it's, it's something that will make people realize that there's more to identity than people think. What advice would you have for 
parents and family? I would say listen first and then take time to respond. Like always just take in what you heard and before you even say anything, just deal with that silence. <laughs> you know, let there be an awkward silence and just and just let them lead the way. Like as you said, like you're behind. When they come out to you, like you're already behind. It's like some of the professor said, here's a midterm. And you're like, what? And they're like, you've been in a class for 10 weeks. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, no, professor, you've been in the class for 10 weeks. I just showed up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that was something that we talked about, too, in the parents group was like yeah. the kids have decided. 100%. They know where they're at. And, the and that they need to also be patient to let the parents catch up to their situation. And in the age of the Internet, I feel like information is so accessible so that kids really do have so much ability to research what it is they need to know about themselves. Like the biggest one of the biggest memes I've seen is like Googling the Am I Gay quiz on the Internet when we were 11. (laughs) Right. Because of that, I feel like it's good that Well, my advice for friends and family is really just to take a step back and know that they know best. They know themselves best. And just to. Let them lead the way and block out the haters. Well, I just can't thank you enough for spending some time talking about your experience with me here today. And Mm -hmm. I just want you to know uh, how proud I am to be your dad. Thanks. I love you very much. I'm proud to be your child. Happy Pride. Donate to a trans woman of color. We spend years teaching our kids and helping them grow up into adulthood. But if we're lucky, we also get to learn a few things along the way and maybe do some growing up too. I count myself supremely blessed that both my kids have been good learners and patient teachers. I couldn't be more grateful or filled with pride. Taking everything I've got All I've got's this sunny afternoon Save me, save me, save me from this squeeze I got a big fat mama trying to break me And I love to live so pleasantly Help me, help me, help me. 
pleasantly Live this life of luxury Blazing on a sunny Presently, live this life of luxury, blazing on a sunny afternoon in the summertime, in the summertime, in the summertime, in the summertime, in the summertime. Welcome back to the dinner and a movie segment. Uh, we are here once again with our resident, and by resident, I mean someone who lives in this house with me. It's me. I'm back. <laughs> it's our culinary <laughs> cinephile, Ruby Farley. Woohoo! Welcome to June, Rue. Thanks. It's my month. I love it. It's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy. We've got a lot of celebrations going on. We talked a lot about a lot of different movies this month. I, of I course, finally convinced him to do one of my favorites. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and after I went through my summer litany, right? Sure. From like 1975 going when forward, yeah. you had Jaws, you had Star Wars in 77. Bam. Then you get empire right, right, right. then you get jedi yeah and in between there you've got indiana jones films oh that are coming out it was quite a run it was a time yeah if you know me i like the underdogs sure i like i like the i like the movies that aren't necessarily blockbuster hits but are very very special to the heart and there's only one movie that gets the the sparkle the glitter the uniqueness go ahead it's labyrinth baby labyrinth it's labyrinth 1986 film directed by Jim Henson. What? Produced by George Lucas. What? Yeah. Written by Terry Jones Genius. of Monty Python fame. Genius. And starring David Bowie. God. It's kind of an all-star pedigree. So tell us the story of Labyrinth. Labyrinth is a coming-of-age story about a young girl who has to deal with responsibility for the first time in her life. When her dad remarries with a woman who has a baby. And she's she's doing this play and she's been memorizing this monologue from this play that she's obsessed with. And she's telling this story to this baby <laughs> that's screaming and crying. And she's basically kind of threatening him like, if you keep crying and you keep making me miserable, I'm going to tell the Goblin King to come and snatch you up and take you away from me because he loves me and he'll do anything for me. But she can't remember the last line right, she doesn't of, know. The, of the invitation to the Goblin right, right, King. Right, right, She doesn't remember how to invoke it. But once, when she accidentally says it. <laughs> when she gets ticked off by the kids Just so bad. Just to the point. What does she say? I wish the Goblin King would come and take you away from this place. 
and right now. And then she turns boom. off the light and then he stops screaming. She goes back in the room and the baby's gone. The baby's gone and the Goblin King comes and David Bowie appears and there's glitter, so much glitter. <laughs> so the deal with the Goblin King. Right. Is that she's like, I didn't really mean it. Oh, she says, she's like, I didn't know this was going to happen. And he was like, well, you knew exactly what was going to happen. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you a chance to get this kid. But you have to solve my maze. You have to get through the labyrinth the to labyrinth. my castle before the clock strikes 13 o'clock. And if you don't, I get to keep the baby and he turns into one of my goblins and you never see him again. Hijinks ensue. <gasps> Oh, my God. It's <laughs> a baby. Then, it's a baby. The baby's life is at stake. Right. And then we cross Stakes the threshold high. into the into world of the Goblin Jim King. Jim Henson geniusness. You know, I find that most of the good stuff in the Labyrinth is in the little details. And that's what I love about Jim Henson is that he's not afraid to go subtle. Because I don't think that he gets detailed within what he what the plot is about. But he hides little like storytelling devices within the backgrounds and in the shots and in the character development that just like every time you watch it, it gets better and better. At the beginning of the movie, like the first couple shots are of her room. You know, you see like her teddy bears on the wall. You see um, Wizard of Oz. You see all these different storybooks that kind of relate to what's going to happen later. She's got the statue of David Bowie on her mantelpiece, you know. But you also see like newspaper clippings and it's her mom and David Bowie. And her mom is like a famous singer and she's gone off and she's like started dating this famous musician. And that's part of why she sees this character as David Bowie is because it's like he's the guy that her mom ran away with and left her for. From then on, it's just like it's everything you would want from a Jim Henson movie without Muppets. It almost reminds me of like a Terry Gilliam film, but like safe for kids. Jim Henson was on the same kind of plane, but he was more geared towards, like, how can I just make this as whimsical as possible? You this know? is my critique of the film and what I think you have to overcome when you're watching it, mm. is that the performances are uniformly quite bad. Yeah, but are you watching David Bowie's performance at all? No. Or are you watching his crotch bulge? That's the problem, is that there's nobody there well, directing the actors to the sort of performance that would have made this a really terrific film. So I'm engaged with the story and the beauty of it, and I just forgive that the acting is not that great. This movie is like a grown-up Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, that's the, I think that's the difference, is that Alice is a little more of like a daydream, whereas this is more like... A nightmare. Yeah. She's got to learn that she's in control of a baby. Like, this is another person's life, girl. It's, it's about life or death at this point. She's like, oh, shit, I said the wrong words. I didn't mean what I said, which is what every teenager goes through. You say things that you don't mean, and then you have to learn that what you say matters. She keeps going, it's not fair, it's not fair. And everybody's like, why do you think that life's gonna be fair to you? And then by halfway through the movie, she's like, oh, yeah, things aren't fair. Like... But that means I can be in control of my life, too. I want you to talk about how food features in to Labyrinth. And that will lead us to our recipe. Yes. One of our food features in Labyrinth 
is that he gives an enchanted peach to Jennifer Connelly. And then she eats the peach and she, like, goes into this dream sequence where she, like, goes into, like, bubble world. (laughs) And she dances with David Bowie at a masquerade ball. And then she has to realize that this fantasy that she has in her head that she thinks she wants isn't what she wants, and it's just distracting her from where she wants to go in her life. And she picks up a chair, and she smashes her, you know, imaginary world, and she, like, falls down, she has to make that big decision for herself. But the peach, our main summer glorious fruit, we love peaches. And what is better than grilled peaches? Really couldn't be any easier. The key is picking the peach. The right peach, yeah. And in order to do that, what you want to look for is a golden or white section mm. right at the top where the stem goes in. Mm. Once it's golden and it starts to turn white, it gets a, maybe a little bit wrinkly, mm. that's where you want your peach to be. Mm-hmm. You don't want to let these peaches go too far because once you put them on the grill, they're going to melt yeah. too much sugar content. Yeah. So you yeah, want yeah. peaches with a little bit of give a little bit of firm. and yeah. a little bit of that white Um, and golden area at the top. So Mm. I can't say this enough. Like peaches from the supermarket are really, really hard to source. Go to your local farmer's market. Yeah, do it. Get someone who comes in from the fields with fresh peaches. You will be glad that you did. All you got to do, slice them in half, Mm. rub a little olive oil on there. Or some butter. I like to do butter. Or butter. Get your grill up to medium-high heat. Put them um, fruit side down for about five, six minutes. Mm. Turn them over. Let the fuzz side down for five or six minutes, and then they'll start to sort of melt into that. You can glaze them if you want with a little bit of cinnamon or sugar and get a little caramelization on there if you want. And then you just take them off. Maybe with a scoop of ice cream. Mm. Maybe you just drizzle a little bit of honey on those things. Whip up some whipped cream. Maybe just a sprinkling of uh, coarse flake salt Mm. in there just to kick it against the uh, sweetness. We're getting fancy up in here. (laughs) There's lots of ways to do grilled peaches. Yeah. And in my search for peach recipes today, I knew we were going to talk about grilled peaches, but I'm also going to throw up on the website um, a pork chop recipe with a peach sauce. Uh, in case you want to go whole hog, get it, with the peach. (laughs) So that's our uh, dinner and a movie segment for this month. We're going to recommend... I think you'll enjoy. The Jim Henson, George Lucas, Terry Jones, David (laughs) Bowie spectacle Uh, labyrinth. And if you like Muppets, if you like puppets, if you like crazy sets and crazy costumes and lovely storytelling and just heartwarming fun... Watch Labyrinth. It's Alice in Wonderland. Eat all some peaches grown and up. cream. That's our dinner and a movie for June. Yeah. Thank you, Ruby, for being here. Glad to be here. With so many of us working from home, now is a great time to adopt a pet from LA Animal Services. With six animal service centers throughout the city, LA Animal Services has dogs, cats, rabbits, hamsters, turtles, guinea pigs, chickens, and more available for adoption and ready to join your family. If you're not ready for that kind of commitment, consider fostering a cat or a dog for a couple weeks. There are huge benefits for the animals. Studies show that time in a house is a huge stress reliever for animals. Plus, you'll be able to get great networking photos and videos of your furry house guests during their stay. 
And when you go out to run errands or take walks, they'll be exposed to a whole new neighborhood of potential families. If you're lucky enough to already have a pet, LA Animal Services has lots of benefits for you and your furry friends. All city residents are eligible for multiple vouchers for free or low-cost spay and neuter services, and every month there are virtual advice sessions to help families with their questions, doggy dialogues, cat chats, and rabbit roundtables. And if you need assistance feeding your animal companion, you can make an appointment for the Pet Food Pantry in Van Nuys or South Los Angeles every Sunday from 1 to 4. To see adoptable pets and make appointments for services, go to LAAnimalServices.com or call 888-452-7381. I want to share with you two of my memories about growing up. They're bookends of sorts, and they both feature a sofa. I'm sitting on my grandfather's couch... It's a forced family visit to the very small apartment he shares with my grandmother. The couch is very small. The tiny TV across the room is turned off. The curios that line the mantel are all miniatures of deer, bear, and birds. Perhaps it makes my grandparents feel bigger to be surrounded by tiny things. I do not know. I do not care. I do know that my brother and sister and I are fairly squeezed into this glorified love seat on this Sunday afternoon. I am 20 years old. We are waiting to eat a lunch of thin sliced salami, homemade olives, and some assorted cheeses, and to not eat the pickled pig's feet and head cheese, which will also surely appear on a platter soon to be set out on the exquisitely small dining room table, along with a selection of mustards and breads. We'd been to this party before. We know what to expect, and frankly, we are more than a tiny bit bored. Ever the showman... I decide to pick up a throw pillow and start spinning it on one finger like a cross between a basketball and a dinner plate. My pals and I would spin throw pillows for hours while we hung around in larger living rooms than this one. If we were feeling particularly ambitious, sometimes we'd even spin the actual couch cushions. I'd become pretty good at it. But I'd never spun these particular pillows before. They were overstuffed and covered with slippery chintz. The Teflon cushion flew off my finger immediately, nearly knocking a miniature porcelain elephant off the mantel. My short-tempered grandfather shouted from across the room, Keep Charles Farley, when are you going to grow up? Sorry, I blurted with a half-concealed chuckle, scrambling to return the decorative throw back to its home on the tiny couch. I felt ashamed, but I also felt my own inherited short temper rise as I crossed the living room to retrieve the offending pillow. I shot a sideways glance at my father's father and thought to myself, I hope I never grow up, because then I'm one step closer to growing old, and one step closer to becoming like you. Nature versus nurture, am I right? Five or six years later, I found myself on another couch, a therapist's couch. I don't think I ever spun her throw pillows, but I can't be entirely sure. I had chosen a Jungian therapist because I understood Jungian therapy to be all about dream analysis and creativity and art. 
Also, it was about uncovering the mysterious things that lurked in the dark side of the psyche. It all felt thrillingly Stephen King-esque to me. I was regularly 15 to 20 minutes late to my therapy sessions. There always seemed to be a lot more traffic than I'd expected. I was probably railing about the injustices of having my phone turned off or having my car booted to extort from me the unpaid parking fines I'd amassed. But my therapist said to me, You have such a rich, imaginative life, Keith. But you need to learn to pay your bills and show up on time. That's your shadow. We need to work on that. And she was right. But damn it. What a perfectly mundane shadow that turned out to be. I'd always imagined I'd been seeing her to learn to slay some fancy demon that lurked in the dark of my unconscious. Not how to keep a budget and show up early to work. And once again, the young man on the couch was invited to grow up. This time, though... I was more inclined to take the note. June, if nothing else, is the season of growing up. In June, we watch our children grow up from one grade to the next until they finally graduate. I love that graduation, which feels like a finishing, is also called a commencement or a beginning. We're all invited to commence in June, to begin new lives, taking all we've learned about growing up with us. Many of us have weddings in June. The month is named for Juno, after all, the goddess of love and marriage. And aren't weddings a sort of commencement, too? Where we leave the safety of our birth family and commence in making a family of our own with a new partner, whom we choose based on what we've learned about ourselves as we've grown up. And what a heady time it is. It's all sunshine and freedom for the kids. For the graduates and newlyweds, it's a time where relatives travel from all over to celebrate with us as we commence our new adventures. For the rest of us, it's a time for a game of softball after work or an evening hike. The light won't get any brighter. But as we approach the longest day of the year... It's important to remember that we're also approaching the birth of the night. It's not a bad idea to consider the shadow in the midst of all this sunshine. There's an ancient tradition that's performed at summer solstice festivals across Europe. They light a huge wheel on fire and roll it down a hill into a lake. This wheel reminds me of the Christmas wreaths that we decorated with candles way back in the dead of winter. The candles that symbolized our hope that heat and growth would come back into the world. Well, here we are. The world is exploding with growth. Is it not fitting, then, that at the time of the greatest light and heat that our very wintry wreath should become consumed by its own flames and doused? It's a powerful reminder of the shadow that lives in all of us. As we prepare for this mid-year celebration of growing up, of leaving childish things behind and moving forward toward growth and maturity, and of taking a minute or two to consider our shadow, I'd like to share with you a summer cocktail recipe that's perfect for a wedding or a graduation party. It's a sunny blend of ingredients, plus a little kick that symbolizes what a full life can be. It's strong, but it's balanced. It's a little bit spicy. As a strong drink, we start with a healthy two-ounce shot of tequila per serving. If you're one of our sober friends, you might try it with kombucha if you like that little kick. 
As this drink is strong, may you also be strong. Fight for what you want. Stand up for what is right. Share your strength with others who are struggling. And don't forget to be strong enough to ask for help when you need it. Look around you. Helpers are everywhere. You are not alone. Cultivate a community that's there to lend you strength when you need it. And be ready to offer your strength when called upon. Our next ingredient is a blend of fresh pineapple and lime juice. The perfect balance of sweet and sour. Embrace the balance of sweet and sour and you will have a life that is full. For all things are born. They grow, they wither, and they die. Only to be born again. And so, when we embrace balance, we embrace the nature of all things. If you can cultivate a love of balance, if you will embrace the sweet and sour of your life without judgment, you will experience a life that is full. The final ingredient in our cocktail is a sliver of jalapeno pepper for just a touch of spice. It's an ingredient that lifts this drink from being a mere pineapple margarita to being something a little more exciting, unusual, and memorable. May there be just enough spice in your life to keep it surprising, exciting, and memorable. And where would any great summer drink be without ice? The best cocktails are perfectly chilled, never frozen. For to be frozen is to be stiff, unchanging, and inflexible. But to be chill, to be cool, that is the key. When the sink is full of dirty dishes, again, chill. When your lover or your boss or your bestie is not saying exactly what they mean, chill. When they're not listening, chill. Be willing to melt, to be yielding, to be cool. And if you will practice these virtues, you will have a life that is like this cocktail. Strong, balanced, spicy, and ultimately very cool. Cheers.
you had a sunny good time and if you like what you're hearing we want to invite you to make a donation to the cause at livefromtheloungepodcast.com that's livefromtheloungepodcast.com click on the donate button to help us keep this podcast coming to you every month thanks in advance for your generosity here's the who did what our lounge is produced by Ann Claus Farley Matt Almos and Carolyn Almos are our head writers. The Thin Boy and the Ocean was written and performed by Matt Almos. John Ballinger is our musical director. He wrote and arranged all the music you heard today. You also heard him sing on Summer Breeze and play banjo and clarinet on Lazing on a Sunny Afternoon. Sunshine Day was arranged and performed by John Ballinger with lead vocals by Laura Martin. Our house band is Double Batch Daddy, which features Cal on vocals and bass, Dutch on vocals and guitar, and Bax on drums. These guys look as good as they sound. Be sure to catch one of their live performances on YouTube. And I'm your host, Keith Farley. We'll be back in a month or so with another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge. 